Coming up on Chasing the Natty, the one thing that separates CFF from any other fantasy sport is the amount of research and news you have to keep track of, and Nate and I will be discussing some of our favorite strategies to make it all that much more manageable for you all. In addition, we'll be touching on some of the first bits of spring news we'll be getting from across the country, and finally, we're going to let you know some of the best and worst values in drafts early in this offseason. All this and more coming right after this. Junior touchdown! Marvelous Mark! Ball next to the outside, dropped down for Franklin! A majestic touchdown! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing Natty podcast. Hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. We got a lot to discuss today because I'm a madman and typically we cover maybe one major topic or two major topics. I went out and decided to cover three different topics. As you heard at the top of the show before the intro there, we got a lot to talk about. And as always, we have our fearless co-host, Mr. Nate Marquise. Nate, how are you doing today, sir? I am great. Um, excited to be back on with you here. Spent a day at the uh, Kansas City Zoo because the weather is fantastic this weekend here. Yes, so sir. Took my daughter out and checked out some of the uh, some of the animals, spent a little time with family, and had a nice little Sunday. That's a very, very nice little Sunday. Again, weather is gorgeous over here. Um, best part about Athens is spring break and summer break. Because that's when all the college students leave and everything gets a lot quieter around here and it's a lot easier to go out and do fun stuff because nothing's nearly as crowded. Like my girlfriend and I, for the first time, we went to a place called Wonder Bar last night and it is like a video game. It's a, it's a video game bar. Like you mm -hmm. go in there, there's drinks, there's snacks and stuff like that, but they have like switches, Xboxes, PS4s, old arcade games and stuff like that, all free of charge. The games are all free. It's just nice. you have to, it's just you have to, you know, pay for drinks, pay for food and stuff like that. But it it was incredible in there and it, it got a little busy as the night went on but fun fun idea you got yeah, anything was, fun like that in kansas city i don't know that we have any uh any bars like that we had an arcade bar that was um a pretty big hit but i'm not even sure if it made it through covid but we don't not that i know of that we have any video game bars that's a really that's a really cool idea i i don't play a ton of video games but i could get behind something like that just uh uh, having a few beers and and playing some games would remind me a lot of uh, my time in college for sure. Yeah, there's a similar place I went to in Atlanta, but they like they they charge you like twenty bucks to use their computers or to like reserve spaces. I'm like, that's not nearly as fun. Like if you if you can get that set up with all your friends, that's great. But like yeah. this one is literally just walk in. Um, it's a good time. Again, I don't drink, but like I can enjoy a bar setting. I've kind of figured out that as long as there's something else for me to do there besides you know drink. Like right. if, if, there, if there's a if there's a pool table if there's like darts and stuff like that I can get behind that I can I can go in there I'll play pool with people all day long that's fun to me or and obviously TV for sports and stuff like that yeah anyway enough yeah. about our social lives and everything like I said we got a ton to talk about here Nate um, this month 
as part of C2C, um, all of us at C2C are kind of trying to go back to basics on some things. Again, March started to get a few people kind of trickling in here that are, you know, have taken their break from college football. They're trying to come back in. So we're going to get a little back to basics. And today we're going to cover research strategies. I guess I'll go ahead and move us over to that screen. We're going to discuss some research strategies for college fantasy. We could have gone the route of, you know, just like how to set up your leagues and everything. But a lot of that is basically covered when you play NFL Redraft. It's a lot of the same stuff. Some few changes here and there. Again, maybe you have a few more roster spots because of how deep the player pool is. But as I just mentioned, the player pool is massive. And by far the hardest part of playing college fantasy is keeping up with all the players, all the, all the news coming out of camps, all of the transfers that are going on. So Nate, we're going to spend the first, I'd say, probably about 20, 30 minutes today discussing different research strategies that we have, like as people who cover this sport, cover this game that we all love to play, and what we can kind of teach to people out there who, again, maybe don't have as much time as us to keep track of all of this. What are some strategies they might can employ in order to keep up with it all? So just kind of very broadly here again i have some questions here on the sheet that we can use to kind of guide us covering different aspects of it but just kind of on a broad scale nate do you have any just basic strategies that you kind of employ to like let's say it's the start of the off season what's the first thing that you're doing to keep up with everything right now i am literally twitter searching the word spring practice and and seeing what and seeing what pops up with that i love it. um so that's that's just how i kind of get some some spring practice news uh i mean obviously right now i think matt does a fantastic job matt yes. Burning from our from our site c2c does a fantastic job with the youtube uh short clips usually 15 to 20 minutes just giving updates weekly uh on spring practices and i it sounds like uh, from the most recent video he did, he's also going to put that in both podcast and written form. So uh, a, a variety of ways you can get that information. So that's kind of what I do this time of year. Um, and, and you know, I'm in the thick of things so much between our chats and yep. and dis discords and those types of things where it's, it's still a lot of information coming at you. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll touch on it. There's a lot of useful spots on our on our website at campuscan.com that yes, you sir. can use to kind of find out you know who's going where and, and what's happening with everything yeah i think we'll, we'll just kind of start with the first question i have here moving forward and that is first thing that i always whenever like a new season comes around the first thing i am making sure that i know is who's coming back and who has left whether that is graduating, they're just moving on to a different career, or they're just going off to the XFL, NFL, USFL. So my kind of strategy when it comes to that is twofold. One, I do follow wonderful websites like Campus of Canton and also CFB Winning Edge, both of whom keep wonderful lists of just everybody that's leaving. But obviously, if you don't have access to those things, there's just some things you can research on your own. Um, looking up you, so a lot of times you'll get lists of like early NFL declarees. A lot of websites like 247, On3, places like that do that very often. But it's harder to find the guys who are just straight up graduating, like the seniors, the guys that probably aren't as buzzworthy in the NFL, guys that are probably going day three, if not probably undrafted free agent guys. To me, the best place to find guys like that, those are the ones that will typically sneak through. 
Senior Bowl, Shrine Bowl, any of those kind of bowls, those rosters, like going through and just kind of checking guys off that are on those rosters, because that's typically where you're going to find guys like that. So Nate, do you have anybody, or anybody, but any strategy you have when it comes to trying to figure out as quickly as you can what the player pool for college fantasy football is looking like in terms of who is gone and who's coming back? No, not really. The I will give props to Fantrax. It sounds like I, I haven't done any drafts yet this year, but just from talking with you guys, it does sound like they've done a really good job of updating their rosters. Did they get rid of? No, the... they, not yet. Ah, okay. Not yet. They have done yeah. an incredible job of getting in freshmen. And okay. I, I, I don't think I've run into hardly any problems with anybody coming in saying like, oh, this obvious freshman is not here. Uh, PJ, who's been doing our freshman mocks for the Campus Canton Leagues and everything, says that he's they've done a very good job with that. The big thing that they've kind of been missing in terms of players being added, most often it's been FCS transfers coming up to the FBS levels. So like guys like Cameron Scadabo from Sacramento State going to Arizona State, he's not in there. But guys like Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, they're still floating around. Yes, they are. Yeah. That's too bad. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't have uh, I don't have any strategies when it comes to that. Usually, um, just a Twitter search or Google search to find out if if uh, anybody has. I mean, luckily now we're we're to the point where the combine's going on and stuff like that. So, True. Um, a, a lot of that information is is a little bit easier to find versus where we were at in early January on declarations and stuff. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So again, we were talking about keeping track of who's coming back, who's leaving. The other aspect of college fantasy that we have to keep track of now is the transfer portal, which has absolutely blown up over the last couple of years. Nate, do you have any resources that you typically go to in order to keep track of all of these transfers that are going on? Yeah, two of them. Uh, 247 does a really good job of uh, on each team's uh commitments page for mm-hmm. each recruiting class that they have uh 247 does a good job at the very bottom will show any incoming transfers that that program has so for instance like colorado's is you have to scroll forever because there's nine million transfers coming into colorado but they do a good job of showing where they're from uh and where they're going so 247 is a really good resource for that and then also on, on campus scan.com we've got our cfb portal tracker which is amazing there, it shows close to 230 um you know transfers that are the only you know the fantasy relevant transfers meaning it's you know you don't 247 is going to show you all the defensive and the the offensive linemen and stuff like that this the c2c college football portal tracker uh, you know weeds all that out and it's just the skill positions that we care about for fantasy yeah that's that's a great call the other thing i i also have written on my notes here again 247 on three also has a very good transfer portal tracker as well the other resource i'll kind of throw out there the at fbs fantasy foot account on twitter the guys who run that are absolutely nuts in how quickly they're able to glean information from twitter and retweet it out for everybody to see i personally have notifications turned on for any time that they put out a tweet Because the moment that they know, I know now. And I'm able to keep track of a lot of transfer news with that and has made everything a lot easier. Again, we're trying not to make this a Campus of Canton infomercial because we do have a lot of great resources on the website. But I also do want to give a ton of shout outs to a lot of great guys out there. So, Nate, you touched on this already when it came to keeping track of spring news. Again, I love the 
the idea of just again twitter searching spring practice just seeing what all new articles are being put out there the other thing i will do and i'm going to give a shout out to the cff site here because they have a good resource on this uh, mike bainbridge put out a um, web page last year where he has listed every fbs team and he has listed his preferred beat writer that has given him the best information regarding spring practices roster management stuff like that so go over to their website i believe that web page is free for everybody i might be incorrect on that mike you can dm me and correct me if i'm wrong there but that is a i went through that and there are a couple guys on there that i wasn't aware of and i've started following them ever since and it has made my job a whole lot easier so if you're another thing you guys can do and this is something on twitter i've seen some people start to do is if again if you're on a if you're on like a personal account on twitter you don't have you don't want to be filling your feed constantly with college football and stuff like that why wouldn't you but even so maybe you don't <laughs> what i've seen people do is they started to use that list function on twitter where instead of following all of these guys they add them to a list like a certain list on their twitter so they can go whenever they're in the mood to catch up on college football news they can then go and scroll exclusively college football beat writers so that's yep. something i might suggest to y'all if you're worried about clogging up your twitter feed Absolutely. That's, that's exactly what I do. I got all of the, you know, each one of the, the beat writers in one list so I can just scroll through that list and see if there's anything coming out. So, yeah. The other two things I would say when it comes to spring news, um, really this is just news in general, and this is going to sound so obvious, but again, keep yourself listening to podcasts when you're working and stuff like that. You don't have to be 100% paying attention you don't have to be sitting down like eyes glued to a screen looking at guys you would be surprised when you're just working and listening to some of these college football podcasts how much you're gleaning without actively without actively um listening like you would be surprised later how much you can recall like it doesn't have to be something you have to put aside time for when you're driving when you're going back and forth to work Again, this sounds like obvious stuff, but again, like you would be surprised like how often I would talk to people and they're just, I'm like, okay, what podcast do you listen to for college football news? And they're just like, I don't really, I have to set time aside to like read articles and stuff like that. I'm like, no, no, no. Find some that you can put on in the background. You would be surprised how much, in, how much information you are gleaning without realizing it. So another good one. Go I was going to say another good one is the uh, Cover Three podcast. Um, yes, sir. With Bud, El Bud Elliott and uh, and Chip and those guys. I know last summer uh, Bud did his summer school series. Oh, that was incredible. Yeah, and he spoke to beat writers for basically every program, all, every every program, and just kind of he had you know five or six questions for him, and it was a lot of really valuable, um, relevant fantasy football information that that you can get out of that. So I would definitely say check that out when he hopefully starts firing those back up here in the next couple months. Yeah, and again, check out all of our stuff at campuscanton.com. Again, all of all of our shows pretty much cover different news aspects throughout the offseason, whether it's Devi Debate, whether it is Back to Devi, here, here of course on CTN, all, all of our shows pretty much cover that stuff. One last thing I'll touch on when it comes to spring news, join a Discord or set up a group chat with some like-minded buddies and just constantly share with each other just news and posts that you find. Again, being a part of the Campus Camp Discord as well as the CFF site Discord, 
having places where people are just like working together to when they find information and they post it all in one place and you can just kind of scroll through and be like oh that's interesting i totally missed that it helps a ton this doesn't have to be something that you have to take on on your own again talk to your college football buddies constantly be texting each other be like yo guys did you see this this is really cool this is what i did when I first started playing college fantasy, again, it was me and Xavier. We would just constantly be texting each other back and forth. Be like, hey, you see this? This is really cool. Again, don't be afraid to lean on others. That's all I'm saying. Uh, one last thing we can touch on here. And Nate, this is really where I'm going to... This is really going to be your time to shine because of your awesome articles that you have been releasing recently. When it comes to researching coaching systems, Nate... Again, you've been putting out these awesome articles, really detailed stuff, understanding all of these systems that different coaches have. What are your suggestions to people who, who want to understand that side of college fantasy? Because as we say all the time, college fantasy is system, 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 and understanding systems helps you understand the players. So what are your suggestions there, Nate? Uh, I don't know. It's probably pretty similar answer to what we've had with some of these other questions, and that's you know, trying to listen to some of the podcast, our podcast, obviously you and I really focus on systems more than probably, <laughs> probably anybody else. But, um, you know, especially once, once the summer rolls around, there's going to be a lot more podcasts that pop up and discussing, uh, you know, different coaching changes and systems and that type of thing. I know, uh, they will, they'll cover it on campus life here. Um, and, uh, Debbie debate, they'll, they'll talk about systems a little bit as well too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's for me, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm a degenerate and I, I read constantly about what coaches are going where and, and just track the information. I think it's, you know, there's a lot of useful tools as far as, um, you know, on the C2C website, just seeing, okay, yep. what is, what's the neutral game script, you know, pass rate for this team? What's the rush rate for this team? And just trying to find out um, kind of how that looks. And I, I think that the we do a pretty good job of it in our CFF guide that'll be coming out later this summer yes, of, of kind of detailing some of the differences in not only the coaching changes, but just kind of trends that we see with each program and, and kind of how that's going. Yeah. And it's one thing you can do is you can um, kind of break it down on the website in two different ways. So again, we have the college team tool. So if you just want to see what has Arkansas been doing in the run game over the last like five years, you can look at it through that way. Or again, if you, again, systems follow coaches. So we, the, the campus camp website also has a head coach tool. So you can go and you can filter out what has this coach been doing in their career as long as they have been a head coach. I know we're trying to work on adding offensive coordinators. I know we're trying to add different diff other coaching types into that tool as well. So that, to me, is going to be quickly become the premier tool if you're trying to understand what kind of systems different coaches are running and Nate, I have to imagine you probably use that a little bit when you were doing some of your research for your articles, at least just a preliminary understanding for some of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good useful tool tool to uh, kind of have some of that background um, information there. So yeah, definitely go check it out. Alrighty. Wow. We got through pretty much all of that a lot quicker than I was expecting. Nate, before we kind of move on from this topic again, I, I hope everybody has gleaned at least something from there. I know we kind of moved through a lot of that quickly, but Nate, do you have any like final thoughts, uh, any bits of pieces of advice when it comes to how to manage your research for college fantasy? No, I think from a research standpoint, um, you know, we, we covered a lot of information there. Are, I assume at some point, are we going to go over like just 
thoughts and strategies as far as like with starting leagues and, yes, and sir. commission and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Again, we're going to do that all throughout this month. Pretty much the first like 15, 20 minutes of every one of our shows, we're going to cover a different topic. I just know a lot of a lot of our podcasts have been talking about setting up leagues and I'm like, okay, that's not usually the thing that people are hung up on when they first get started for college fantasy college fantasy the big thing is research and like how to manage how how to make that easier for people so i figured that would be an interesting place to start that way we're not turning off those of you who have been here for years maybe those of you who have been here for years learn something from this discussion here today but again we'll get we'll talk about all of that kind of stuff moving forward but now speaking of all that news and keeping up with it we got to talk about some of these initial spring um camps that have been going on and before we get into that well wrong page but you know what since i have the page up and pretty much since the last since the last 15 minutes has been a big infomercial i'll quickly go through this spiel again guys we're part of the cff team over at campus canton make sure you like comment and subscribe make sure you're following us wherever you are listening on podcasts and make sure you're leaving those five-star reviews. Again, we love hearing from y'all. Make sure you DM myself on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared. You can find Nate. He is at CFF Nate on Twitter. We love answering you guys' questions. With that being said, I think we can pretty much get right on back to these spring camps. And we're going to touch on a few of those spring camps that have um, pretty much already begun. Not a ton of news out there. So we're going to get through this section pretty quickly. But I did want to go ahead and discuss nate i have up on the screen here a graphic that i made of all the schools that are kicking off spring camps this week and i'm not going to run through every single one of these because i got like 30 schools up on the screen right now but nate looking at the screen here of all these schools here what are one or two schools that you're excited to get started with this week and find out information from North Carolina, definitely. I want to see with all of the, you know, the attrition they had at the wide receiver room. I want to, I, when we'll we'll touch on that a little bit later. But I'm I'm really curious to see how that pans out, especially with their new offensive coordinator. Uh, another one that probably sticks out to me here would be uh, Miss uh, Mississippi State, just given the amount of changes, obviously with Mike Leach no longer being there. I'm really curious to hear what they talk about how the offense is going to look and how they how they see that playing out because men just talk about a massive um i don't know if any programs going through a bigger 180 as far as their offensive philosophy than than what they have this offseason so um i would say those those are the main ones that that probably stand out to me um maybe a little bit of liberty that's kind of interesting just given their coaching changes as well too mm-hmm. so yeah those are probably the main ones what about you uh kentucky starting on monday again i want to see again we get liam Cohn back in i want to see how quickly they're able to re-implement that system that made will levis so successful two years ago guys like wandale robinson successful i want to hear how the three top three wide receivers are doing with the with the new system again tavian robinson brought in to be that slot guy you got Danky and barry and brown on the outside i want to see who's stepping up early on do we continue to hear a love fest from Liam Cohen about Tavian Robinson? Or does Barry and Brown come in and kind of prove them like, hey, you're wrong. I'm the guy that everybody should be the most excited about. I'm also curious to see how uh, Ramon Davis is yeah. doing as the starting running back there. Again, a lot of great pieces for Kentucky. I want to see how they all kind of mesh together here. We probably don't talk about it enough, but that's a 
that's a really, <laughs> really strong landing spot for Ray Davis, man. Yeah. I mean, to to be as successful as he was at Vanderbilt, um, there's a lot of places he could have transferred to that we would have frowned upon. Kentucky's not one of them, though. They've produced nope. really solid, really strong running back numbers. Yeah, again, I have Ramon Davis as my running back 20. So, again, I, I'm with you. I, I fully – I love that landing spot for him. I'm excited to see what he does. Other ones that kind of stick out to me here, uh, Arkansas State. Again, one thing that I think really flew under the radar with a lot of people is that uh, Corey Rucker went back there. And yep. he was very successful under the same coaching staff and everything. Again, obviously, they got to figure out quarterback – Mm-hmm. there because james blackman's moving on they don't have lane hatcher to fall back on anymore that's but he, a program go ahead. sorry go ahead I, I was just gonna say that's a program that's hard to get information out of because it is a small g5 school but last year and i believe even the year before that they posted the box score of their spring game yes which was really nice and very few programs actually post a, a straight up box score so that's nice to not have to um, you know, really dig hard for that type of information. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, some other ones here, again, UAB, again, we'll talk about that here with one of the players we're going to talk about when it comes to our ADP analysis, but mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see what that coaching staff starts to sound like, what kind of system they're planning on running. Like you said, Nate, it's a G5 program, so we're probably not going to get a ton out yep. of them, but I'm, I'm interested in gleaning whatever information I can out of them and then one another under the radar one and i mean i mean really under the radar here rice you got jt daniels going over there again obviously for school like hasn't been successful really anywhere that he's gone but he's finally moving down to the g5 it's the aac defensively challenged conference he has two good options at receiver and luke mccaffrey and bradley rosner who's coming back for his eighth year of eligibility we did confirm that um so again that's another one i'm I'm kind of excited to see like maybe if they can finally get things off the ground going there well the ones you the ones you picked out you're you're gonna have to dig deep man i know those are are some g5 programs that are really tough to get info i know i know but again i'm i you know you never know when one of them starts to put out information that's right that's right so again, we got a couple of spring reports to get through here, uh, mostly coming out of the AAC, um, and we got one from the Mountain West, and so we'll kind of get right to it. First one we'll talk about here, coming out of South Florida, they get started this week, but we're already kind of hearing from the coaching staff, and it looks like that Byron Brown will be getting that first crack at the QB1 job, not necessarily because of him outperforming everybody, but because... Jerry Bohannon is still out, and uh, Cartavius Marsh will also be out for the spring. So, to me, there could be a QB battle here, maybe when we get into the fall. But Brown kind of being all alone back there, and especially with how well he performed down the stretch for South Florida last year, I think he might be the guy to invest in moving forward here. This is going to give him a massive leg up going forward. Nate, your thoughts on the South Florida room right now? Yeah, as as a CFF analyst, we like this. This is we want to see some some division happen here in this quarterback room, and him getting a leg up on the rest of that competition there, I think is important because it is a it is a totally new system that yep. all all three quarterbacks are learning, and he's the young guy. He's the guy that has shown probably the most upside 
Um, and so for him to be able to get basically all the reps with the ones throughout the spring, I think is a really, really big advantage for him uh, going into the fall camp. Yeah. Doesn't, and doesn't decide it, but it, no. it's a, it's a big, it's, it's a big leg up for him in my mind. No, I agree. And because again, like Jerry Bohannon, I mean, he was a starter at Baylor for, I I think two years or one no, it was just just that one year. Just the one year, okay. Yeah. But even so, he he started at a P five level. That's that's mm -hmm. great experience on his part. He was the starter heading into last year before he got hurt again. So I think he'll like if there's anybody going to challenge Brown come the fall, it'll be Bohannon. Sure. But even still, like you said, him having all these snaps in the spring and likely the summer is going to give him a huge leg up here not really much else to say there again they're getting started this week so we'll probably hear more about what actually comes out of spring practice there let's go over to hawaii where they had they they're finished they're done with spring practice uh, it had a lot to do with some renovations they had going on with some of their facilities so they had to get it all out of the way pretty early on they had their spring game this past week in which case their beat riders gave us zilp zero nothing about it <laughs> Literally, the only article I could find was just like, yeah, they had a spring game. I'm like, okay, you have any any anything out of it who looked good? No, nope, nothing. They had a spring game. Um, and then, Nate, you kind of pointed this out because I sent you the whole article. And this article is literally like two paragraphs long, y'all. It's not long at all. But you actually did gleam one little bit of information out of it that you were kind of surprised by. So, Nate, what was that little bit of information? Just that they're they're transitioning to the run and shoot, which is the the offense that Timmy Chang uh, ran during his time there at Hawaii, uh, and kind of blows my mind. I just assumed that they were transitioning to that last year. This is his second year there, so I don't know why he wasted a year if the plan was to go to the the offense that he wants to run anyways. So. Um, yeah, they're going to the run and shoot. I probably, you know, like I said, we don't have any information as far as who did what in the spring. But for me, I'm going to be looking for those depth chart reports coming out before the season starts because yes, we we know historically with the run and shoot, the inside receiver position uh, is is the one to own. And they put up big numbers. John Arsua, who's the wide receivers coach there now. Yes, was a was a monster fantasy producer during his time there. He he played that same role. So we'll keep an eye on see who's who's going to be in those spots whenever whenever the depth charts start rolling around. Yep, like I said, not a ton to not to, not a ton to gleam from Hawaii, but they are they are done for the year. So maybe hopefully we can kind of I don't know osmosis some information away from the island nation island nation good lord what am i talking about <laughs> they are americans <laughs> they are they are indeed american um the island states excuse me that's the word i'm looking for technically united states they're all tiny nation whatever um anyway let's go to houston uh let's talk about what's going on over here this is actually got quite a bit of information coming out of here um, also, we'll, also in america also in, also in america houston is um believe it or not even though texas i think has threatened to secede about a million <laughs> times in u.s history <laughs> what are we talking if, about if they do i hope dana holgerson becomes the president of uh this su succession of of texas that would dude, be hilarious that, would that guy be, that guy is so good dude that would be absolutely incredible anyway um let's talk about their running backs first kind of we're getting to we're getting information pretty much all over here which is great running backs brandon campbell out for the spring ultima caskill back 
not totally cleared. He don't expect him to be going full force this spring. Again, this is like right about the time, maybe about 10 months away from his ACL tear. So don't expect him to be going full speed here. They're going to be very careful with him. Like we discussed last week, they don't want another injury happening to him because of just how good McCaskill is as a talent. He is head and shoulders above everybody there. But with Campbell out, McCaskill limited, I am going to keep an eye on Stacy Sneed just a little bit. Of course, again, if McCaskill comes back, he's full go by the time fall camp runs around. We're probably not talking about Sneed whatsoever. But if McCaskill, God forbid, something were to happen to him again, and Campbell out for the spring doesn't get the reps, it feels like Sneed could be in line for a very good year there. Your thoughts on that, Nate? I'll just be following along in the fall to see, get confirmation that McCaskill is 100%. Yeah. If if we're still hearing rumblings that he's not a full go or that he's wearing, you know, a um, you know a, a, an alternate jersey in practice because he's still um, not at 100%, then I'm then I'm concerned. But yeah. until then, I'm not going to worry about it too much. All right, Nate, you where do you want to go next? Wide receivers or quarterbacks? Or uh, QBs. 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 Again, it sounds like it'll be a battle between Donovan Smith and the freshman they brought in last year. It, it sounds like currently the freshman is ahead. I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden off the top of my head. Give me a second. Um, but it sounds yeah, he's like a, he, he's a transfer from somewhere. I can't remember either. <laughs> um, but he's, uh, he's but, definitely an under the radar guy. Uh, like, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm Donovan, making fun. Go ahead. Sorry. I, Donovan Smith is they're they're gonna call it a a quote competition, you know, right now. But I will be I will be shocked if uh Coley. If it's not Coley, yeah. If it's not Donovan Smith, that I'll be pretty surprised if it's not him that trots out to take the first snap in game one. So yeah. Um, you know, maybe maybe some yellow flags are raised if uh if we hear that this is still competition come mid-August, but I'm not too worried about it right now. Well, again, the only reason why Coley is even ahead right now is because, again, he's had a year in the system. So, again, it will totally depend on how quickly Donovan Smith is able to pick things up here. I have, yeah. I have to imagine that, like again, he's had the experience of learning an offense before. He'll be able to pick it up pretty easily. And I agree with you. Again, he's still the guy to invest here. But it is something interesting there that is, again, clearly the job's not being handed to him early on. We'll talk about wide receivers now. Again, it sounds like from reports that your current three starters are the three guys from last year. Again, Matthew Golden, Manjack, Samuel Brown. Those are your starters right now. I have a sneaking suspicion that that, is, that lineup is going to change at least somewhat. Again, Houston brought in some pretty good options out of the transfer portal. Yeah, Joshua Cobbs, the number one wide receiver for Wyoming last year, was performing really well for them. He's headed over to Houston. You also bring in the true freshman from Oklahoma State last year, uh, Stephon Johnson, who showed out for the um, for the Cowboys in multiple games. I wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys breaks into the starting lineup here. But let's be real. The guy who everybody is banking on to be that top receiver in Matthew Golden, I have no worries about him leaving the starting lineup. I I still think that he is the best one to invest in right now. Nate, do you kind of feel the same way? Yep, I'm still in on Golden. He's my guy. Okay, fair enough. Short and sweet. Love it to the point. 
uh speaking of other crowded wide receiver rooms let's go over to smu again you got preston stone coming in he earned coming in he is going to be your starter for the full year now it is finally time for him currently it looks like from early reports your top wide receivers seem to be jordan curley Keyshawn smith and dylan goffney however in credit to matt bruni here for kind of bringing this to my attention and i went and confirmed with some of the people talking about these practices jackson lavender a three-star freshman wide receiver has been making noise in this camp very very early here i again i'm not saying he's going to be a starter by the end of the year again we've heard of this before from a lot of different places over the years of like a guy comes in a lot impresses a lot of these freshmen just hit a wall at one point that keeps them from being true starters. If you want a great example that just came to my mind, Andre Green Jr. last year for North Carolina came in. Everybody was over the moon excited. Barely got playing time throughout the entire, or got playing time, but barely produced for UNC in his freshman year. I wouldn't be shocked if the same thing happened here with Lavender, but again, impressing this early on, you got to keep that name in the back of your head right there. Nate, your thoughts on SMU's wide receiver room right now? Yeah, that was a it was a really good nugget that Matt had uh, had mentioned with Lavender in his uh, spring first spring camp report. I don't know much about him. I do know that this this room is pretty deep, so there's a lot of bodies for him to have to climb over. Um, but something to just, yeah, just kind of keep in the back of your mind, right? Jot the name down. And if we continue to hear this throughout the spring and we start to hear his name early on in the fall, then, uh, then he's definitely somebody to be reckoned with. But for right now, uh, the three that I would probably most likely invest in, uh, would be Curly, Keyshawn Smith and Dylan Goffney at this time. In that order? Probably, uh, from everything I saw on some of the some of the the uh, quick clips that the beat writers were posting, it looks like Curly's probably like he's kind of the first man up in all the drills. He's he's definitely the one that's getting a lot of work with Preston Stone. So he he would be my one, and then I'll keep an eye on what happens between Smith and Goffney. But I think one of those two guys will get the other outside receiver spot, which is what we want in this Rhett Lashley offense. We want those boundary guys. Uh, historically, yes, that's what he's he's produced. Yeah, 100%. And again, I, I have a feeling if I, if I had to invest in one of those other two guys, I would probably put more eggs in the basket of Keyshawn Smith. Again, him bringing him directly over from yeah. Miami where Lashley was before. I think that'll kind of, again, that familiarity with the offense is going to help him out a ton producing at the p5 level beforehand he's the guy that i'd probably invest in if you can't get curly Alrighty, so moving on to our third segment here again that's all of our spring camp news rundown again we're gonna have a lot more of that that's pretty much going to dominate most of our stuff moving forward again we talked about all those uh programs that were starting spring practices before so again, we're gonna have a lot more news coming out and it's gonna be even more interesting when all these programs start to actually put pads on in the run up to a bunch of spring games. But now, last thing I wanted to talk about here today, Nate, we're a month into pretty much the CFF off season. Um, I have been running several CFF mock drafts, best balls, things like that, to get an idea of what is this early ADP average draft position, if you don't know what that means, uh, what is it looking like for college fantasy kind of early on in the offseason? Obviously, things are going to change massively from now to the start of the season. But this does kind of give us a good idea of 
where is like kind of the consensus value at among both experts and also people who play this on a casual level and i think it is always fun to kind of talk about like where do who is going higher than like what the experts would recommend why would the public be more in on certain players than others why would experts be more in on certain players it's a lot of fun discussion here um i don't know how well you can see that graphic nate um but like based on that graphic i kind of have up here on the screen do you have kind of even any initial thoughts before we kind of dive into some players that we think are going too high and some that are going too low my initial thoughts are just kind of the big tier breaks that you see between, especially the with the quarterbacks, between the uh, what looks like I believe the top six QBs there. Yes, sir. And and then QB seven, which is uh, Tyler Shuck, Texas Tech. But I mean the the difference in ADP between Michael Penix, uh, who on I believe is at sixteen point two, so like basically the sixteenth player taken in in ADP. And then Shuck is all the way down at 50. So yep. huge, huge tier break uh, right there. So it's almost like you're probably seeing in a lot of these drafts, um, guys, quarterbacks go off the board early in rounds one and two. And then people are just kind of waiting from there on and, and not taking another stab at it until, you know, the fourth to the sixth round. I think it's also the fact that you have those top six quarterbacks and then everybody after that, there is no real consensus of who is yeah. up next so you can have tyler shuck there his adp is 50 but he has a wide range i've seen him go off in the third round but i've seen him go off in like the ninth tenth round like it's been crazy yeah. the variation you can get with some of these qbs pretty much after those top six and like you pointed out nate here in the tiers there uh, at running back and wide receiver there's a big green block right there and mm -hmm. that pretty much tells you that the third fourth fifth rounds just dominated by yep. running backs wide receivers and it's just where everybody's trying to scoop up as many top players as they can before we get really outside of that consensus there any other thoughts you have here nate before we get on to some of the more specific players not really one last thing on the qbs i mean it's just when when we talk about those top six being caleb williams drake may bo Nix, austin reed frank harris and michael Penix. I can't remember a year, and I've been doing this a long time, I can't remember a year where we can be so confident in that many top-tier QBs. Like, that's a really deep tier one mm -hmm. of, of QBs that are back. And, and I think it's deep because three of those guys, Bo Nix, Frank Harris, Michael Penix, kind of surprisingly came back. Mm -hmm. And and so it has made that top tier so deep as compared to most years. I mean, usually we only have two or three quarterbacks that we can like, you know, pound the table and say, these these guys have done it. We're not worried. There's no ifs about what they can do. We've seen them do it and they're legit. And this year it's really deep up there. I wonder if NIL has a lot to do with that, Nate. Because again, like Maybe. NIL impacts all of these guys. Obviously all of these guys right. are pretty much stars on their different teams, but quarterback more than any other, again, has that stigma of like, that's the most important position on the field they're yeah. going to be the ones that earn the most amount of money so i wonder if that's going to be standard kind of going forward for a lot of these guys that aren't seeing nfl aspirations they do come back for as many years as they can just so they can get that extra nil money each year and that could make the quarterback position deeper and deeper i hope so that would oh, be yeah. awesome it, it would be a ton of fun and it also kind of makes fantasy kind of mirror the actual 
product of college football just a little bit more when when you feel that desire to take a quarterback in the first round if that kind of makes sense yeah so Alrighty, let's get on over to some of these players again. We're going to run through uh, four guys that we think are going to early, five guys that we think are going to late in a lot of your drafts. And so we'll get right to it with the first one here. And it is everybody's favorite freshman darling from last year. And that is Mr. Nicholas Singleton. Currently one of the guys that I put on the sheet as going too high currently currently his adp is rb8 being picked right at the beginning of the third round i've seen him go mid second um a lot of times like uh uh sometimes going like early third uh, most of my reservation here has little reservation to do with nicholas singleton the talent it is more of i don't understand the difference between singleton's adp and travion henderson's adp so to give you an idea again singleton rb8 beginning of round three travion henderson rb18 going towards the end of the fourth round that's an almost two round difference right there and both of these guys are former five-star backs going to big time big 10 programs with historically his successful cff running backs but are both dealing with questions about what kind of workload they're going to get this season because they have other legitimate options in that backfield. Again, Henderson, you got Mayan Williams, Dallin Hayden, Evan Pryor, Nicholas Singleton. You got Katron Allen, who's in the same class as him, who sometimes outcarried Singleton last year. So to me, it's more of me just trying to understand, like, I don't understand why there's a gap between the two of these. If you're going to... I don't understand why people are paying up for Singleton when you could be getting him in the same range as Henderson, who has pretty much all the same questions, in my opinion. So, Nate, your thoughts on Singleton? And I guess I'll ask you, do you think it's that Singleton's going too high or Henderson's going too low? Mm, I So when comparing these two players, uh, which is, is kind of the basis for your for your argument here, is... I think the problem with Henderson is, and, and why people are scared off from him, it's the shelf life of college fantasy football is short, right? Three years is essentially what you get if you're talking about an elite player in a, at a P5 level. Yes, and he and he basically was wasted all of last year because of lingering uh, foot issues, right? And now we know that, that that backfield is really deep at Ohio State. So I think people are just scared off from Henderson because of that injury history, because of Ryan Day's propensity to just sit players for lengthy periods of time trying to get them healthy because they don't they don't face their level of competition very often. And um and their schedule tends to always be backloaded because Michigan's always at the end of the year. So, you know, it's just a situation where if you I would be worried if I if I'm drafting Henderson that if he gets dinged up, I may not see him for three weeks, right? Even mm -hmm. if it's just a small injury. So I think that's a concern. The in my opinion, the floor for Henderson is far lower than it is for Singleton. I can draft Singleton and confidently say I'm getting a thousand yards and I'm getting ten touchdowns out of him next year. I think that's I think that's his floor. Even with Katron Allen, I think he's too explosive. Um, to even though his touches may be limited to maybe 15 a game, I think he's going to do a lot with those 15 touches. So for me, I, I don't have a huge disagreement with the gap between Singleton and Henderson. And it's really mostly to do with, I'm concerned of what Henderson sees and how it might play out. 
No, and I totally get that. So again, let's bring this back to specifically Singleton. Again, I know uh-huh. I, I did a lot of comparisons with Henderson to Singleton because I, I do think I, I think there are a lot of similarities between the two of these guys. But right. when it comes to Singleton, the other part of it is we pretty much saw down the stretch last season, again, you, you, it was just the Singleton and Allen show. Right. And with Clifford being gone, you would think they're gonna move. They're gonna move towards Aller. There's a lot of talk again. They're gonna want to open up the passing game. We got a five-star quarterback back there. They're bringing in guys like Dante Cephas. They still got Keandre Lambert Smith there. A lot of great weapons for them to use in the pass game. What is the path for Singleton to finish better than what he did last year? He had 167 touches, reached at the 1,100 yards, 13 touchdowns. So he had a really good season last year. Again, a lot of that came in the bowl game, but even so. He finished as the RB46 last year. He's being drafted as the 8 right now. What is the right. path to him getting up to that aspirational top 10 running back for CFF? Uh, I, I think your point is well taken on that. I do think because of Catron Allen, his ceiling is capped, right? I don't, I don't think 1,600 yards and 18 touchdowns is probably outside of his range of outcomes, talking about Nick Singleton, because of Catron Allen. However, I do think that they are going to lean on the ground game something fierce there at Penn State, um, especially early on as they start to work Aller in. And I think that it's a good enough offensive line. It's a good enough um, staff in in terms of scheme that I, I think there's room for them both to eat. So even if you are kind of drafting him near maybe his ceiling here at, at RB8, I think that his floor, again, is very, very safe. And so I, I don't have a major problem with that um, because when you're drafting in those first three rounds, you're really, you you can't really win your league, but you can definitely lose your league if you mm-hmm. if you miss on some of those early guys. Yeah, no, that's a very fair point. And again, a little bit morbid here, but if God forbid something were to happen to Allen, oh, yeah. Singleton would be, oh, my gosh. he would be hitting that RB8 yeah. quickly. And that, and you got to you got to kind of take that into account. I mean, that's 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 as sad as it may sound. I mean, there there is potential for that. Yeah. All right, Nate. Let's go on to one of your guys here that you put down as being too high. Well, I say that I put him down for you because I figured you might want to talk about this guy. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Jermaine Brown Jr., the running back out of UAB. Currently, his uh, ADP is RB twenty two off the board, being picked right around the mid to late fifth round early in the process he was a guy that was going in like the second third round has fallen a a little bit but he's pretty much kind of settled in right around this range right here so nate why do you think that jermaine brown jr is currently going too high well and i i understand some of the support for him because this is a a program that has historically done well with running backs um the only problem is, is that it is a totally new staff and that that history doesn't carry over with them. We don't know what we're going to get out of Trent Dilfer, right? Yes, sir. We've never we've never seen him coaching at this level. I think that there's and and Nick Nicky and Alan brought brought this up in our disc or in our chat. I, I think there's some serious concerns with that offensive line. Like mm-hmm. they are losing, they are losing a ton there at UAB. This is going to be a major rebuild that's taking place. So um that has me concerned a little bit too. What's the game script going to look like? Is he going to be able to have enough volume that we saw uh in the past with the running backs there? So that concerns me too, you know. It, 
the schedule's fairly challenging. They do have Georgia on their schedule, so they've already got two bye weeks built in, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so, uh, so that's a little bit of a concern as well, too. But um, I think I think that's my my thing. I think there's way too many unknowns for me to be even remotely confident taking him uh, where he is where he is currently going. Which remind me again, what is he? RB twenty two. RB22. Yeah, I just he's not somebody I would even I would even consider um in that range. You know, once he starts getting down to RB30 plus, yeah, maybe I maybe I'll take a look, but I still think there's a lot of risk that goes on with him. So, as somebody who has him currently ranked right in this range, he's currently my RB21. Um I'll kind of touch on some of the points you had there. Obviously, offensive line, whenever you're dealing with the running back, that is a major place of concern. Uh, in terms of how well they're going to be able to churn out yardage. But again, like you said, this is a program that has built itself to run the ball extremely well. They have people in that staff they've kept they kept from the previous regime that are going to be able to help teach up those new offensive linemen. I think they'll be able to still be productive there. The other part of it is, let's say that offensive line isn't performing as well, especially in the rushing department. That means that whatever quarterback they have back there, I'll be real, I haven't even really looked at who the quarterback for UAB is going to be. They're going to need an outlet. They're going to need somebody to dump it off to. And you have Jermaine Brown Jr. here, who is a really good, or at least not really good, but a much better pass catcher out of the backfield than the UAB system has had in recent years with Dwayne McBride. And right. so I think that that's where he could probably get some of his volume back right there. And like speaking of volume, again, this guy got 185 touches last year and 1,000 yards as the RB2 for this system. Again, maybe they're not as successful on the ground, but if the RB2 and as successful as they were last year was able to do that, I think he should be able to make that work again right there. The last thing I'll kind of point out, you talked about we don't know what's going to happen with this coaching staff. Point is very well taken. But you look at this whole coaching staff, especially the guys at the top, it's inexperience, inexperience, inexperience. What do coaching staffs that look like that typically do? They look for the experience, they look for the veterans on their roster, and they rely on that. Brown is going to his fifth year with this program. I have a feeling that he is going to be somebody they're going to lean on. If I hear anything about him stepping up as a leader in whatever limited coverage we can get from UAB, I'm going to be all in on him for this next upcoming year. Yep, I think that's uh, your your points are your points are valid. Um, I just I'll be I'll probably be looking elsewhere in that range. Yeah, fair enough. Alrighty, let's talk about another guy that's going too high here. Let's talk about Dorian Singer, the wide receiver. Going to USC, transferred over from Arizona, currently going as a wide receiver 11. Uh, his ADP is putting him right around the middle of the third round, exactly in the middle. Uh, the 306 pick currently is where he's on average being taken. He's going as a wide receiver 11. He's my wide receiver 44. And it has everything to do with that. I don't really know what has been said by really anybody that warrants the gap between where Singer is going and where every other wide receiver for USC is going right now. To give you an idea, Singer just talked about a wide receiver 11, middle of the third round. The next USC wide receiver, according to our ADP that is coming off the board, 
Mario Williams, wide receiver, 69 in the middle of the 13th round. Follow that with Taj Washington, wide receiver, 72, middle of the 14th round. And then Brendan Rice, who had a pretty impressive bowl game for USC against Tulane, wide receiver, 84, uh, end of the 16th round. What is going on here, y'all? Again, I like <laughs> Dorian Singer. I think he's a great talent. I think he'll be good for USC this year. He's going 10 rounds ahead of any other USC wide receiver right now. And to me, they're pretty much all relatively even with one another. Ain't no way I'm spending up a third round pick for him right now. So, Nate, your thoughts on Dorian Singer. Do you have any kind of counter argument there as to why Singer is worth this high of a pick? I do not. I'm 100% with you. Uh, this is far too high for me. I get that people want a piece of this offense. Uh, who wouldn't? I mean, this you got Caleb Williams. That you got a terrible defense. They're going to be throwing it all over the field. It's going to be really fun. But you're drafting him um, at at I think above his ceiling. I, I just don't know. Like that room is just far too deep. There's too many options. Um, you're basically drafting him where. I, I just I don't see any way he's going to be able to put up those kind of numbers. So for me, I'm I'm totally with you. If if I want a piece of this offense, I will wait until later in the draft and select some of those other guys you mentioned, like Rice, like Taj Washington. I'm I'm not super high on Mario Williams. So, but even still, at that value, I would rather have Mario Williams knowing that I think maybe he's at best wide receiver two there. But if I get him as wide receiver 70 in a draft, as opposed to spending, you know, wide receiver 11 draft capital on Dorian Singer, I'm, I'm happier with, with waiting. So that's just kind of where I stand with it. I'm totally with you. Yeah. Again, I don't think there's really that much debate on here. Again, there are people out there who love Singer. And again, I like him too. I like, I'm not going to knock anybody for wanting to yeah. believe in the talent. It's just, if, if, if these guys are a little bit closer in EDP, like maybe Mario Williams is going off in like the sixth round or seventh round and like Washington and Rice for guys you could get that were going off in like the 10th round. I could understand this maybe just a little bit more because, but there's just a massive gap. I'm going to spend on those guys later in drafts every single time than spend up for Dorian Singer. Yep. Let's go to another wide receiver here that is in kind of a similar situation. And to tease y'all, Nate put this man on the sheet and put a little sad face next to it. Because, uh, <laughs> Nate, I know this is going to hurt you to talk about this guy is going too high. Nate, talk to us about Devontae Walker over at UNC, man. It does. It, it pains me. Um, it hurts my soul whenever I had to put him on the sheet. But obviously transferring in from Kent State to North Carolina – and this is a guy that finished as a top 20 wide receiver last year, and he is currently being drafted as wide receiver eight. That's that's a concern for me. I mean, this is, you know, sorry, wide receiver seven. This, you know, this is a guy that is going early in drafts. We're talking about in rounds two and three. And not only is he jumping up in competition, but it's it's a wide receiver room that still has some nice pieces, even though they lost downs and they lost green. So that's a little bit of a concern. We just haven't seen him perform at this level, and we don't have a great track record of guys moving up from G5 to P5 and being very successful with it. There are very few Jacob Cowens, right? Yep. There just aren't as many that find that level of success. Now, I love the landing spot. I get it. There's a lot to like. I love the fact that he's with Drake May. 
wide receiver seven is just a little too strong for me, right? I think that I think that that's maybe where he would have been drafted had everybody stayed at Kent State and they're mm-hmm. playing in Maction and that type of thing. But now, given the changes, um, I want to see some really positive camp reports before I would be willing to take a stab that early on him. Yeah, and I, I'm going to make a similar argument here that I made with Dorian Singer. Let's look at the gap between Walker and the other UNC wide receivers here. Next wide receiver that comes off the board after Walker, Nate McCollum, wide receiver 40 in the end of the ninth round. Kobe Pesor, wide receiver 68, middle of the 13th round. Andre Green Jr., everybody's favorite freshman from last year, who is expected to probably earn a starting role on the outside this year going undrafted right now yeah. it feels like you're paying a premium for once again a guy who in my opinion has an even shot maybe a little i'm gonna say this he has a less than even shot of being the number one guy because he's not even playing in the slot where josh downs was playing last year i mean you got um nate mccollum and kobe pace are both slot guys they're they're gonna be battling out for that position right there so i just again, it's too, it's way, way too much. Give me McCollum at the end of the ninth. Give me Pesor in the 13th. Give me Andre Green Jr. way down the draft boards before I spend on Walker at the end of the second round. Yeah, some of the names that are going around Devontae Walker. Uh, Jacob Kelling going a spot before him. Jalen McMillan, Xavier Worthy. We talked about Dorian Singer. I mean, these are dudes that have that have proven at the mm-hmm. P5 level capable of getting a thousand yards and close to 10 touchdowns. I mean, the, the amount of production that Xavier Worthy has at Texas, I mean, it's just, you know, he, he's been incredible for two years. So I just, you know, he's just going in a range. It's just a little too rich for me right now. And I love the guy. Gosh, I love, I love Tez Walker, man. He's, he's a freak. Yeah. Alrighty. So, Enough negativity, Nate. We got we we're, we're bashing on too many of these guys right now. Let's go talk about Perfect. some guys that Sunshine. are too low in our opinion. So let's talk about a quarterback here first, and we're going to talk about Curtis Rourke, the quarterback out of Ohio, currently going as the QB seventeen. Raw ADP has him as the seventy or right about the eightieth player off the board. Puts him in the at the mid to late seventh round right here. I kind of disagree with you on this one, Nate, but I'm going to have you make your pitch here first. Um, and it's nothing to do with his talent or the system that he plays in. But you, I'll make you, I'll let you make your pitch first, Nate. Is it the injury? It's everything to do with the injury. Okay. That's, that's fair. Let's, let's talk injury aside right now because I don't, I'll, I'll admit, I don't know all of the, the details with, with his injury status. Um, assuming he does have health and we can't always assume that so i I do want to see some practice reports come out that okay he's taking snaps with the ones and he's moving around just fine assuming that happens i think that this is a guy that probably belongs in that first tier of qbs that we talked about of that that first six that have proven they are cff studs and have a great system that support them again coming in this year and have wide receivers around them because that's exactly what we're talking about with Curtis Rourke there at Ohio. So um, that's just where I stand with it right now. Uh, I think it's, it's really early in the off season and I get why people are having some concerns uh, with the injuries, but man, I would have no problem waiting and, and taking him as 
my QB one or even QB two based off of where he's going and rolling the dice that he's healthy and, and all, and he's ready to roll in week one. So here's the thing I get. I have no doubt in my mind. If he is healthy, he's an incredible asset. He is that Mac QB that you want to own. In week 11, according to The Athletic, this isn't like a backwoods like website on that I had to like get an extra router to find or anything like that. This is from The Athletic. <laughs> um, he tore his ACL and his meniscus in week 11. That's a lot to come back from in just one offseason. It'd be another thing if he tore it early in the season, but it gets right there near the end. Mm-hmm. Could, could is it possible? Yeah, we've seen we've seen some incredible stuff with ACL rehab over the years. I mean, shoot, Cam Akers, it felt like was back in like five six months. Adam Randall tore his in spring and was seeing action by the end of the season last year. So, could Cordis Rook make an incredible recovery? Sure, but he's also not at a Power Five program that probably has access to all of the incredible medical stuff that you know places like you know, the Rams and Clemson have access to. It's a lot to ask for him to come back by week one and be 100%. You can make the argument to me that when he comes back, and maybe maybe it's the second half of the season, he's going to be a potential league winner, especially in Maction. That is an argument I'm willing to hear. But if that's going to be the case, where he's at right now as a QB2 is good, if not a little high for me. Like, I understand investing in guys. That's totally fine with me. But if you put him much higher than where he's at right now, that's a ton, a ton of risk you're asking for right there. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fair. This is, you know, injuries are definitely, you know, scaring people off here. So I I totally get that. Uh, He's somebody that I think is good enough to where I'm still willing to take some of that risk. Let me ask you this then. Let's say he does missing and he is not cleared you know and and they're saying okay maybe he's out for like the first month of the season or so what does that do for you with cj harris do you like him at all as far as being the replacement for him uh definitely wouldn't take him nearly as high as i would with with rourke because again like with rourke a lot of it is we just know he can do it and we weren't super impressed with his performances but again a lot can happen when you have a full off season of refs to work with lots of guys improve when they are able to do that I think he'd be a fun matching option to me. It just makes me all the more interested in a guy like, say, Bangura, where, again, you go back to guys who you know you can count on. He feels like the guy that would get the bump there. Makes sense. All right. Let's go talk about a running back here, and let's talk about Mr. Treshawn Potts, my running back 19. He's currently going as the RB43 in drafts right at the tail end of the ninth round guys this is the minnesota running back position we're talking about here and it'd be another thing if Potts was you know maybe there was i mean there is some competition again to me it's between him and the freshman they brought in last year in zach evans but zach evans was injured throughout most of the last year treshawn Potts is a veteran Mm -hmm. in this program we've seen this staff value veteran presences and he last year pretty much was net even with Muhammad Ibrahim through the first two games of the season. Started off with performances of 16.8 and 19.9 fantasy point performances. 
after that, they went directly to, we're going to give Muhammad Ibrahim every touchdown under the sun because Potts didn't score another touchdown after week two. But that tells me that when they're questioning Ibrahim, when Ibrahim wasn't the guy that they knew that they could rely on week after week, Potts was their next guy up. And he got extended run in games against New Mexico and Western Illinois. Again, not great competition, but those are the guys where they throw them out there and they say, all right, what do you look like when we give you a little extra volume? He was that next guy up, and it feels like we're not spending the value that he deserves as the probable next Minnesota running back here. So, Nate, your thoughts on Trayshawn Potts and where he's going right now? Yeah, I was surprised to see that he's currently going as the RB43. Uh, that's, I mean, this is a system that you just want to invest in. I mean, you want to take a shot at it, even if it doesn't work. I mean, I, I would be totally comfortable with taking him in, you know, that RB20 to 25 range and just betting on the upside that Minnesota continues to churn out, uh, you know, really high producing fantasy running backs. And we saw when Mo Ibrahim went down that year before Trayson Potts himself went down, he was performing at a really, really high level. This is a guy that was consistently putting up over 20 fantasy points per game. So, um, you know, it's hard because there's, it's hard to speculate on what the issue was with him. Some, some were saying that maybe it was some blood clots or something like that that kept him out the remainder of that season. And he didn't, when he did play last year, he just wasn't as efficient as he had been in the past. So that's a little bit of a concern. This is a guy that over his career has gone from 7.3, 6.4, 4.9, and then last year, 4.7 yards per carry. So it's a little concerning that he's kind of going in the wrong direction there. But this is a guy that the staff, I would assume, is quite confident that will be just fine because they've seen him produce at this level. So, uh, yeah, I would be totally confident taking a stab on him well before he's currently being taken. Yeah, because, again, you're put, you're talking about the end of the ninth round. This is, pretty, again, looking at some of the guys that are kind of going around him. Again, Relique Brown, the USC running back. What? What are Ugh, we doing? No way. Day Day Hunter at Liberty. Jarquez Hunter. Um, ahead of him, Nakia Watson, Washington State. Again, like it's it, just, it's it's a position where if yeah, I mean may, maybe it ends up being somewhat of a committee, but we haven't seen that from them. Nope. And and you, you could be getting a guy that gets two hundred and fifty touches at RB forty three. I mean that's just an incredible an incredible value there that you got to be able. to, I mean you want to take that risk on a guy that could get that level of volume. Yeah. 100%. Again, Trayshawn Potts should be moving up a lot of y'all's rankings pretty soon. I, I have a feeling that people are going to kind of have a light bulb moment pretty soon that says, like, hey, what, why are we waiting on this guy? Sure. Next one up here, one of your guys here, Nate, you threw on to our sheet Mr. Richard Reese, the running back out of Baylor, currently going as the RB55, kind of mid to late 11th round. This man had 1,000 yards and 14 touchdowns last year. Nate, how does this even happen? How do people forget about what he did last year? For, Tell us about for, Reese. Forget's a great word to describe Richard Reese. I think he is a forgotten man uh, among the fantasy community. And, you know, I posted that tweet. Name name the three players that got 200 touches, 1,000 yards, and 10 touchdowns. And he was one of those three players, along with Judkins and, uh, and Ott over in California. We we forget how productive this was as a true freshman and a guy that we've considered to be undersized because he's listed, I want to say, around 175 pounds, but is a guy that uh, proved in multiple games that he can be a workhorse. And it's a great system. It's the Baylor system. 
Some people are concerned because of the running back room and how the season kind of ended for him and he became part of a committee. Uh, but I think that was kind of load management. They, you know, the, the staff had said midway through the season, hey, we just kind of want to manage his load. He is a freshman. We're not going to overdo it. And from that point on, they they did. Uh, but who's to say they don't kind of unleash him a little bit again this year? Uh, I just I'm willing to I'm willing to bet on a guy that had a thousand yards and 14 touchdowns in a good system well before RB 55 or wherever it is he's going. The Dom Richardson transfer doesn't scare me in the least bit. I would say, so are, if, you, if are you not scared by powerhouse running back Dominic Richardson? No, if that's a concern for you, then you obviously haven't watched Dominic Richardson play running back before. So don't be worried about that. So that's that should not be in the debate. Yeah, I think this has everything to do with, like you said, one, him forgetting, but then two, um, people just got burned last year. I think that's the reason why they're so they're so worried about this because week eight, 33 touches, 212 yards, two touchdowns. Week nine, 39 touches, 160 yards, three touchdowns. You're sitting there thinking you have the next just massive CFF league winner. Week 10, five touches, 12 yards, touchdown. Week 11, nine touches, 54 yards, no touchdowns. Just a massive drop-off for ex almost pretty much no reason as far as we could tell because there wasn't any injury concern really going on right there. Like you said, Nate, they did talk about managing his load. I don't think people were expecting him to go from 39 touches the week before to five the very next week. So I think a lot of people are kind of worried about like, well, what happens when that happens? Does that happen again? Is there anything that we can kind of point to, Nate, that can might alleviate people's fears about that potentially happening this year? That first game where the drop-off happened, he did have the flu. Nobody okay. knew that going into the game. That was after getting like 30-something touches the week before. Everybody started him, and then, of course, he gets the flu, and I think he touched the ball like like two or three times. So that was that was a major disappointment. And then after that is when they just decided to roll with the committee the rest of the way. I I equate this Richard Reese situation very much so to Izzy Abanaconda the year before, whenever he was at Pitt back in 2021. And it was abundantly clear that Izzy was by far the best player. And when I watched Baylor play this year, it's abundantly clear that Richard Reese is the best running back on the roster. But they, I, I hope, will... I'm sorry if you guys hear my daughter in the background. She just woke up from a nap and she's uh, quite vocal right now. <laughs> but I, I hope that this staff recognizes that and and we see some of that volume uh, that we saw at times last year. So I, I think there's potential there. All but right. I, I get I get some of the concerns as well too, though. I get the concerns, but like, but again, RB fifty five, really, people. This is a guy with that produced a thousand yards last year. I think we can move him up our boards just a little bit. All right, we got two more players to get through here, and it sounds like Nate uh, might have to go soon, so we are we'll get through these guys pretty quickly. We got two wide receivers to talk about here. Let's talk about Jamal Banks, my wide receiver sixteen, currently going as a wide receiver thirty, and honestly, I think he might be moving up higher than where I have him at wide receiver sixteen because this is like he is set to play that X receiver position for Wake Forest, the same position that A.T. Perry, Ja'Kerry Roberson, Sage Sherratt, guys that we have loved over the years have been producing for us. And so to me, like, 
if we we saw banks produce well last year this guy is a guy who had nine touchdowns on just 42 catches like again he kind of popped up in the middle of the season faded as the year went wrong because at perry kind of got himself back on track but it you know when you get nine touchdowns and just 42 catches that tells me that you're going to be a go-to guy in this offense now again do i expect that exact same uh, ratio of touchdowns to catches heck no but at the same time it's very clear they're comfortable with him as a potential starter for this system i think i'm going to be very very aggressive in acquiring jamal banks moving forward here because again i'm not super comfortable with a lot of the wide receivers that go in the round like four to eight range and he's just sitting right there every single time so to me if i am not loving my wide receiver room by the time round six comes along and this is where he's going to stay at I'm going to be getting him in the sixth round, pretty much fifth, sixth round, pretty much every time here. I think he's going way too low. Nate, your thoughts on Jamal Banks? I totally agree with you. This is, we talked about Trey Potts over in Minnesota. This is the wide receiver version, really, of Trey Potts in that he is the next man up in a system that we absolutely want to invest in at the wide receiver position. So, uh, yeah, I think people are, are a little scared off that we haven't seen it. And maybe, you know, maybe Green also being back for Wake Forest, people may be concerned that these two could could take a little bit of the volume away from each other. But still, I, I think wide receiver 30 is probably pretty close to Banks's floor. Um, I, I think he's somebody that can really produce and, and will get a pretty decent portion of, of the the volume that will be absent from from losing at perry so i yep. like i like where you're at in, in thinking that he's going too low here so it's funny you say that like oh the reason why people might, might be scared off of jamal banks uh it's because we haven't seen it yet it, a lot of those same people would then look at you and be like oh but i'd rather have donovan green later on it's like well if you don't think that banks hasn't shown anything then you really must not like green because he hasn't really shown anything either because again, Banks we have seen last year can take yeah. over games a la A.T. Perry and all these other guys. I haven't seen that from Donovan Green yet. So Green might be the better value because again, he's just going so much cheaper. But like, I'm just that much of a believer in Jamal Banks this year. Last but not least, let's go to your last guy here, Nate. You want to talk about Luther Burden. You've been kind of teasing this uh, with a couple of your messages in our chat, some of your tweets and everything like that about how high you are on Luther Burden coming into this year after, let's be frank, was he was horribly misutilized the last year. He's mm -hmm. currently going as the wide receiver 29, middle of the seventh round. Nate, sell me on Luther Burden this year. Why should we be so hyped about him? Yeah, he is definitely one that I wrote about in my pre-spring stock up article. I think the the hire of Kirby Moore, Kellen Moore's brother, who was the wide receivers coach and offensive coordinator out at Fresno State, is a really good hire for Missouri, a good hire for Luther Burden as far as his productivity. I think we finally now have a matching of an elite, elite wide receiver talent being matched up with what is a very productive wide receiver producing offensive coordinator and play caller. He's, he is somebody that can be used all over the field in a variety of different ways, touching the ball out of the backfield, catching it on short routes, going deep. He can catch it all over the field and be a factor. And Moore is an offensive coordinator that we've seen with Cropper Moreno, somebody that, and, and, uh, uh, Regino, what, what was the name of the other wide receiver that was there? Remeggio. 
uh, a, this is often the coordinator that is very creative in finding ways to get the ball to his best players. And I think that's just a big boost for Luther Burden. The quarterback room can't be any worse than it was last year uh, with Horn having now a year under his belt, getting Jake Garcia in from Miami as a transfer. Uh, so I think that that is also a benefit for Burden. So I just think a lot of things are pointing in the right direction for Burden. And he's somebody that I would want to take a shot on well before wide receiver 29 because of all those things pointing in in a good direction for him. Yeah, I agree 100%. And honestly, like he's he's currently my wide receiver 31. He's probably going to rise as I think more and more about that situation. Just how... Again, I don't love the entire wide receiver class in general. So again, the more I see guys that where everything's, like you said, Nate, everything's pointing in the right direction for him to have a better year this year, I'm probably going to take an investment in that. And you kind of mentioned they're likely getting a QB upgrade in one shape or form this year. I really like Jake Garcia going into that room. I think he was somebody that has performed well at Miami over the years. Again, just in a constant battle with Tyler Van Dyke over there. You're talking about a guy that I think fits very similar to what Kirby Moore has dealt with with Fresno State and Jake Hayner over the years. Heck, Garcia might be just a little bit more mobile than Hayner was. So I really like that marriage right there between offensive coordinator and QB almost as much as you like the offensive coordinator marriage between him and Luther Burden. So I think a lot of it's coming together here could be in for a very, very good year here. Drinkowitz knows he needs to feed this man if he wants him to be on his team come 2024. Yes, the, sir. The, the portal is calling his name, and Drinkowitz needs to find a way to keep him out of it. So not getting him the ball is not the answer for that. So, And real quick, let's just let's take a look at Burden versus some of the guys we talked about earlier. Who would you rather, in a vacuum, if all things were equal, who would you rather draft first? Burden, Tez Walker, Dorian Singer. Oh, I take I take burden over all those guys. Yeah. That's, if, that's if I'm being I'm real, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we we know he's the wide receiver one there, right? Mm -hmm. We know that we and we don't know that with those other two. So I think that's the concern. Yeah, one one hundred one hundred percent. All right. With that being said, that brings us pretty much to the end of our show. We'll get through this pretty quickly here. Nate, you have been awesome. In my opinion, this might have been one of the best shows that we might have ever had. This is, again, great, great stuff from us here today. There we go. Um, make sure you guys go and check out all of Nate's articles over at CampusAgain.com. He is basically putting out, in my opinion, what is the must-read of the offseason right now in his coaching change articles. They're must-read for the moment that they come out for me. I'm learning a ton from them, so you guys need to be reading them just as much. Make sure you check out all of our content over at campusagain.com, all of the podcasts, all of the great stuff that we're doing over there. Again, if you're interested, again, we talked a lot about ADP today. If you're interested in participating in mock drafts, best balls, reach out to me at CFF underscore Jared. It's right there on the screen. Perfect timing on that. Um, with that being said, again, awesome show, y'all. Looking forward to the rest of this month, spring camp news, talking a little bit more about setting up all of your leagues and everything. Lots of great stuff coming your way. Really appreciate you guys listening, and you guys have a wonderful and fantastic day. See y'all.